Hi there. I'm Dr. Shelley Zeroth, Professor of Medicine in Winnipeg, Canada, and past president of the Canadian Heart Failure Society. And I'd like to welcome you to the Heart Success Podcast Series. In this series, you will learn about different ways Canadian heart failure experts are meeting the challenges of heart failure with winning strategies. We'll also take a look at retrospective data on how heart failure is being managed in hospitals across the country. By working together and utilizing the tools we have available, we can change the course of heart failure. To learn more, visit the Canadian Heart Failure Society website at www.heartfailure.ca. An on-demand version of the symposium presented on the same topic during the Heart Failure Update Congress in May 2021 is also available for viewing. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Good day, everybody. Thanks for joining us on our podcast today. I am Dr. Shelley Zeroth, the past president of the Canadian Heart Failure Society, and we are very fortunate to have with us today Professor James Januzzi, the Hutter Family Professor of Medicine from Harvard Medical School. He is cardiometabolic faculty at the Bain Institute for Clinical Research and a trustee of the American College of Cardiology. And we're going to be talking to you a bit today about the guidelines and what's new. And we're going to also tackle the ACC expert consensus pathway for the optimization of heart failure. So thanks very much for joining us today, Professor Januzzi. Dr. Zira, thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to join you. So I follow you on Twitter and you tweeted out what the new update, the 2021 update was all about. What are the big take home messages? Well, you know, it's really a, amazing at, uh, how much progress we've made in the last five to 10 years with respect to the care of our patients with heart failure. But Really, when you think about what guideline documents do, they tell us what we should do. They tell us which therapies are beneficial, but they often don't tell us how to use them. Um, and, and that's really the nature of the American College of Cardiology Expert Consensus Decision Pathway document. This is a, a really comprehensive work that doesn't just focus on drug therapy. It actually gives a very, very broad view to the approach of the care for patients with heart failure with reduced EF, including how to initially evaluate, how to evaluate their medication program, initiate, switch, titrate, et cetera, as well as manage the, the complexities of follow-up care. Um, when to uh, do blood testing, when to evaluate with imaging, when to refer for transplant. So it's a really useful document for the practicing clinician and really articulates how to care for patients as opposed to the why that we talk about in guideline documents. Uh, so one of the common themes between the pathway and the CCS heart failure guidelines is Arnie first line. Can you go over some of the data that got us to that point? Sure. So first of all, I'd like to congratulate you all on a really uh, elegant document that lays things out really beautifully for clinicians to understand the, the importance of each of the four major therapies that we provide to our patients with reduced EF heart failure. 
Um, and, and really, the two documents, the ACC document and the Canadian Heart Failure Society document, are so very similar in making the point that you want to address all of the major categories of therapy whenever possible. So a little bit of some, a little bit of everything is better than a whole lot of one thing is I guess the best way to put it. So getting patients on all four therapies and titrating upwards is crucial. Specific to angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitors, I'll remind the audience that the way they were studied in the paradigm trial, patients had a run-in period with an ACE inhibitor, I'm sorry, uh, being switched onto an ACE inhibitor, enalapril, before being randomized. And so the initial guidelines uh, for heart failure recommended a pretreatment period on an ACE or an ARB before being switched to secubitril valsartan. You know, there's no biologic plausibility for doing that. And indeed, going direct to angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibition is actually even more well-tolerated than starting with an ACE or an ARB and switching. But when you look at the data now that have emerged from the Pioneer study, as well as the PROVE-HF study, um, patients that went direct to RNE got similar, if not greater benefits with respect to uh, reduced events in the Pioneer study and in the PROVE-HF study, which specifically focused on reverse cardiac remodeling effects of secubitril valsartan. Those patients that went direct to RNE, specifically those who were not taking an ACE or an ARB at baseline or were de novo heart failure, these patients had the largest amount of reverse remodeling with an average 12.5% improvement in their ejection fraction by 12 months. So for all those reasons, it's well-tolerated, it's biologically plausible, it improves EF even more than if you have a, an initial period on an ACE or an ARB. And the fact that in Pioneer at reduced events, um, de novo uh, start, specifically the so-called ARNI first approach really made the most sense. So that's some pretty impressive remodeling, those kind of numbers, 12%. That is um, impressive. Uh, you know, I recall seeing a number of about 9% in the overall study. So 12% in de novo is fascinating. So what would the impact be on ICD referrals? What, should we be delaying referrals for device optimization in our patients as a result of these impressive findings? Thanks for asking. And, and it, it is a fundamental truth that the therapies that we give for HEFREF that reduce risk for death or pump failure have a substantial impact on ejection fraction, generally speaking. So ACE inhibitors, ARBs, beta blockers, MRAs, all of those therapies have been shown to improve EF. The, the rise in ejection fraction that we saw in the PROVE-HF study and in other studies that have since been published um, approaches that of what we see in patients receiving CRT therapy. It's not at all unusual to see a double digit rise in ejection fraction. So this led us to ask the question in the PROVE-HF experience, whether patients beginning the study with an EF less than 35, so eligible for an ICD, um, when switched to secubitril valsartan, what percentage of them would become ineligible because their EF rose above 35? What we found was that by six months, 32% had risen above the, the threshold of 35%. And by 12 months, 61% were now ICD ineligible. So this takes, uh, makes us take a step back and say, well, you know, if you're seeing a patient in the office, not on secubitril valsartan, 
Uh, should you wait, bridge them over to the ARNI as we should based on the guidelines now, and then reassess their EF. People argue, well, maybe they'd be at risk for sudden death during the period you're waiting for their EF to rise. We looked at this question in Prove HF, not one patient died suddenly during the 12 months uh, of treatment with, uh, with Arnie um, uh, during the period that their EF was, was improving. So we really feel that it's time to reconsider what the guidelines say about a short period of uh, optimal medical therapy before going straight to a defibrillator. It may be worth uh, thinking about waiting. Yeah, that, that data is definitely practice changing and really could influence the, the way in which we deliver care and the timing of, of uh, reassessment for device. Um, you know, SGLT2 inhibitors are an additional component of the standard therapy. And I think, um, you know, is there any information about the speed of onset of clinical benefit of these drugs? Yeah, another great question. So much like with um, Secubitrol Valsartan, there are now data looking, for example, at the first 30 days of treatment in the outcome study. So there are, there are data already published by Milton Packer from uh, the Paradigm study, and now there are data from the Emperor uh, Reduced study showing that um, both Secubitrol Valsartan and uh, Empagliflozin or Dapagliflozin as well uh, reduce risk within 30 days of being initiated on these therapies compared to the comparator. So in Paradigm, of course, it was enalapril. In the uh, uh, SGLT2 trials, it was compared to usual care. This once again argues for the urgency to get patients on these therapies as soon as possible. There's no reason to delay because you know each day that you wait to initiate these therapies may expose the patients to the potential risk for an event. Clearly, while both Secubitril Valsartan as well as SGLT2 inhibitors cause reverse cardiac remodeling, the fact that both drugs show a benefit within 30 days, which is far too early for one to see an, an impact on ejection fraction um, of any kind of durable sort, um, there's obviously more to this, presumably on the basis of reduced uh, filling pressures or other means by which um, a patient's course may be stabilized. And they've They've each demonstrated benefits in patient reported outcome measures as well and functional status. So that's also uh, an important component to the overall benefits of using these standard therapies for HEF-REF. Can you summarize for me, how would you message to patients what the impact of this comprehensive therapy is in, in words that the patients themselves would understand? Yeah, I congratulate you for asking that question. And, and much like the ACC, uh, I, I think it's great that the Canadian Heart Failure Society is facing the patient as well and talking to the patients about their care. Um, for patients, any patients that are listening, these therapies not only uh, reduce your risk for hospitalization, they not only help you to live longer, but they help you to live better. They improve quality of life, improve your energy and make you feel better. So this is a win-win and you should speak to your physicians about how you can make sure that your heart failure care is comprehensively applied and uh, comprehensively titrated to goal. Well, I think that's probably the most important take home message of our podcast today. Thank you very much, Professor Januzzi for joining us. And I look forward to speaking to you in the near future. Thanks so very much for the invitation.